Welcome to the Proactive Planner, a practical podcast for people ready to take action today to live a more worry-free life. Avoid an accidental legacy and be a proactive planner today. Not tomorrow, folks. Today. Today. That's important. Now, for the disclaimer, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended to be, nor is it, legal advice. By listening to this podcast, an attorney-client relationship is not created between the speaker or the listener, nor is anything said on this podcast confidential. To have an attorney-client relationship, and we would love for you to have one today, listeners may engage the law firm of Wilson Legal by signing their engagement letter, or our engagement letter, and making an investment with us. Names of persons referenced in this podcast have been changed unless the name refers to an author, historical, or public figure, or is a public record. So, welcome to week week three of February. Yay. (laughs) Still the month of love. Still the month of love. And today, we're going to be talking about how to give things to the people that you love. How to give stuff. Yep. Yes. Any ideas on how you think you give stuff? Uh, Carrier pigeon? Oh. Drone? That's a great idea. No? Okay. Maybe a check if people still do checks. I'm not sure a pigeon could carry lots of large bills. We still do checks. Excellent. Yeah, we still write checks. Yeah, I do too. It's parents of elementary school kids. Yes. Must always have a checkbook in hand. That and a Venmo account, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. And internet, because you can't pay for after school care without logging in every single month. Ain't, ain't that, a, ain't that uh, the truth. Yes. All right, so we're going to be talking, that is what we're talking about today, but more on the estate planning side of things. So when you die, how do you give something to someone and the pros and cons for each one of those different ways of giving something away? Um, and I think it's important for people to think about, you know, what are the different options you have to give things away and how creative can you get so that you aren't hurting someone who maybe is on federal benefits or you're not giving them more than they have the ability to handle um, so we'll be talking about first giving things to people outright. Any ideas, Jeff, on the national average time period for spending everything? Uh, actually, yes, I do know because it's on my notes. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is 18 months, which is Isn't that amazing? insane. And it doesn't matter how big the estate is. So you could be getting a million, two million, three million, ten million dollars, and the average is still 18 months. Well, I think most of us have seen those uh, lotto horror stories of how people, you know, literally go into bankruptcy after winning $20 million. So it's not that much of a surprise at this point. It really isn't. Yeah. A lot of people probably have seen stories like that before. Probably not experienced it themselves. But, um, you know, we want to protect people from doing that and getting in that situation. So, of course, one of the cons of giving somebody money outright is there's zero protection. They can spend all of it. Mm The pro, the thing that is a good thing about outright giving is that, you know, there's a group of clients that come in my office and they either have this opinion when they first come in or we go over the other options they have and they come back to this. Mm. Um, So it's the I'm dead, I don't care category of people. You know, I'm dead. It's now your responsibility to spend this wisely or save it or create a legacy of your own. And if you choose not to do that, it's not on me. It's on you. Um, and there's several couples who've come in who just, you know, it's time for me to give that responsibility away and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Which is fine. So the we're dead, we don't care clause. Yes. Love it. Exactly. We're dead, we don't care, uh, is outright giving and it's okay if you are a listener and you're in one of the, and you're in that group, um, there's no judgment at Wilson Legal if you don't care after you pass away what happens to that money and you want the kids to be responsible. I totally get it. Um, but, you know. but there's a better way. 
And option number two is intervals. So interval giving, that's usually a, you get this much when I die and this much five, five years later and another percentage five years after that, so 10 years later. Or you can do it by age. You get this much by age 30, this much when you get to age 35, 40, 45, however you want, however you want to divide it up. Sometimes it's 25% increments. Sometimes it's a lump sum up front and then percentages. So for people that are listening or watching at home, what is the common uh, interval. Common intervals, probably three years or five years. Uh, for some reason, a lot of us think in terms of decades. So, and, and we do that too. I mean, think about birthdays. Right. It seems like the big birthdays are always the ones that end in zero, right? Sure. 20, 30, 40, 50, a hundred. Um, if you get that far. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so the issue with intervals and one of the, the cons about that is you don't know what's going on in your beneficiary's life at the time they hit that magical age 30 or magical age 40. Um, if you've married maybe the wrong person and they know that your trust is gonna give you a big old lump sum when you turn 40, it is not uncommon for the predatory spouse to wait for you to deposit the check in the joint marital account and then file for divorce. <laughs> and now all of a sudden half of what you received is your predatory soon to be ex-spouse's money. So in an episode in the near future, we'll need to talk about predatory spouses and what to look out for. We can certainly do spouse. that. I feel like that's I don't have a comic. My, my goodness, that's <laughs> just the term alone. Just, ugh, <laughs> it shivers down my spine. I do have some friends uh, from back in, uh, in New York that I believe have some predatory spouses for sure. But... Uh, my goodness. Let's, right? hope, let's hope not. That's that's nasty. It is. And so can be, you know, it doesn't even have to be a spouse stuff. It could be a business partner, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. And, you know, business partnerships can sometimes be kind of like marriages, except without some of the fun stuff. Yeah. Um, and they, when they end, it's oftentimes as bad as a divorce. And you might have a business partner that's waiting to say goodbye to you and has maybe been stealing money from you. You didn't know about it. Um, and files bankruptcy at that time. So if your business partner has filed bankruptcy or you're stuck in a bankruptcy at the time you get this distribution from your trust, from your parents' trust, that money you receive is now accessible by the bankruptcy trustee to pay the business debts or business creditors. Really? Mm -hmm. Even though it's personal, it has nothing to do with the business. Typically, if you're in bankruptcy, depending on the kind of bankruptcy you file, um, and I, I would say it probably depends on how the business is set up, but you've usually signed a personal guarantee with one or two of your creditors that includes your personal finances, mm -hmm. right? So I know when I got my line of credit, I had to sign a personal guarantee. Um, all those folks out there who are listeners who got the disaster relief loan, the EIDL or IEDL loan, they had to also um, not just... Uh, it didn't just attach to business assets. I believe it also attaches to personal assets. Wow. And I can confirm that for everybody who's listening in the show notes. But um, in those cases, your personal assets would be subject to your creditors like that in a bankruptcy. Okay. Um, especially if it's a Chapter 7. So you're you're basically saying, I've got to close everything out. You're not going to try to rebuild or reorganize. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Okay. So that's those are the negatives. Um, intervals, interval distribution sometimes too can still get spent too fast. They're just spending a, a smaller portion. There's no gatekeeper, right? If you're giving money at intervals, you're just outright giving a gift of money to somebody at different periods of time. So it doesn't stop somebody who spends a lot from 
spending a lot. They just have to take a longer time to do it. Are intervals common? Intervals are fairly common, especially among some of the people with older plans. Um, and also among parents who have, in their opinion, responsible children, right? Okay. And so maybe they want the kids to have a little over time. For people who have kids who spend a lot of money very quickly, one of the things that I've suggested in the past as a tool is an annuity. Because you don't have to have somebody in charge of the trust. You can put the money in there and then schedule slower, smaller, you know, income drips of money over a longer period of time. Okay. Um, so right. that's an option. Uh, let's see. The nice thing about intervals, though, is if the beneficiary totally screws up the first distribution, they have a chance at redemption, right? They have a chance to show mom and dad that they can do a good job with money, um, and they would get that at the next interval that comes through. Um, Although that's not a great percentage if you've screwed up already. It depends on who you ask, but I have one client who feels like if the kids don't know how to do life by age 30, that they're a lost cause. Um, okay. <laughs> I think for different parents, it might be different ages. Yeah. I like to think that we can all change and grow up and get better at doing things or handling money or doing life as we get older too. And we learn I more agree. lessons. percent. Um, but I think that has a lot to do with how aware we are of what we might've done wrong and yeah. the ability to make a personal rule and stick to it. Yeah. Self-awareness is key on that one for sure. <clears throat> Absolutely. So uh, another pro for an interval is you might be able to dodge a divorce or bankruptcy if you happen to get the payment after it's already done. Mm. Like, but that's a really kind of a depends on luck, Russian roulette kind of version of intervals. <laughs> um, I wouldn't plan on that. You can't really plan on luck. You can't plan on that. No, you can't plan on divorce either. So no. Well, you can, you can prep. There are stories where people might have, but... <laughs> That's, those are probably stories for another day. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, the black widows, the the people who marry, um, who marry multiple men, and the men end up always dying. Oh yes. And there's some stories where the thought is the woman might have had something to do with with that. Oh yeah, there's lots of those stories. Yeah. They're always on those murder uh, channels. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I would say in some of those cases, it might have been premeditated, right? So I mean, I can't say you can't go to a marriage without a plan, but hopefully most people go to marriage with a plan of like living together and having a happy life together, right? Instead of you'd hope so. Uh, malevolence. So, <laughs> all right. Um, in trust is our third option, and that is giving money to someone in a trust. And when you give money to somebody in a trust, you've got options about who's in charge. And it also adds a layer of protection you don't have with the other two options. So here's the thing. Here's how it plays out. So imagine you've got, let's say, 500000 in savings at Charles Schwab, and it's in your name, and you pass away, and you've got two kids. Um, you know, child one and child two. Right. When you die, Charles Schwab will get the death certificate. They'll ask what needs to be done. They'll look at your trust. Your main trust is going to say, oh, this just needs to be divided into two pieces, 50% to each child. And Schwab will basically create two new accounts, one for child one share and one for child two share. And the money just stays there. In fact, the money could stay in the same investments, right? But the children... If you want them to, let's say you feel like you raised really irresponsible kids, they're going to be 28 or 30 by the time you die, or maybe they are at the time you're updating your plan. And you're okay with them being trustee of their own trust, because what you're going to do with each child is you're going to have what we call an arm around the shoulder, walk around the block conversation, where you're going to say, dear son or daughter, 
I want you to be responsible with this money and I want you to keep it in this trust account unless your family is using it for something. Don't take it out because if you take it out, you might put it in a joint account with your spouse and now it's marital funds. It's not your separate property. So by keeping money in a trust in Georgia, under Georgia law, Georgia is a, a, not a community property state. The money that you inherit from someone, if you keep it separate and you keep your spouse from helping with investments, so spouse can't have anything to do with it. Use a financial advisor that's separate. Then the money in that separate account is separate property. It's not going to be subject to marital division if your child ends up getting a divorce. Mm. Right? So, but now it requires your kid to be smart about it if they're going to be the one in charge. Okay? They need to use common sense and not be a knucklehead. <laughs> and if you put them in charge of their trust, they have the ability to be a knucklehead about the entire amount that's in there. So here's the thing about bankruptcy. If we create a trust that's completely discretionary, there's no right to withdrawal, there's no interval amounts that have to be paid out, um, the bankruptcy trustee has access to anything the child has access to. So you can imagine if the child is trustee of their own trust, you, it's subject to the bankruptcy trustee's reach unless the child resigns. So I call it abdicating the throne. We're going to put the kid on the front throne at the beginning, but if they run into trouble, they just need to step down from the throne and put somebody else in charge of their trust account who can then exercise their discretion not to distribute money mm -hmm. to creditors and allow that bankruptcy to resolve itself. And I would say even go seven years and come off of their credit before they become trustee of their own share again. Um, and in a lot of families, you've got like an aunt or an uncle or a close family friend who might be a fictional aunt or uncle, but they're not blood related, who could step in for a period of time and be trustee of that trust while the child's going through what they're going to go through. And then afterward, the child can have, um, you know, authority over that trust again. Now, so that's kind of a, a little bit of protection a trust can give for divorce and bankruptcy issues, right? Um, if the child is in charge, though, of the entire trust at your death, it's kind of like giving them an outright gift. All they've got to do is go into Charles Schwab in that case and ha have them distribute yeah. everything or wire everything to their account if they want to. Right. So the the final option that I want to talk about today is a comb combination method type option where we talk about putting money into a trust for the kids, but we're going to combine it with intervals or what I like to do is a right of withdrawal because that doesn't have to be distributed they can choose to get money out, but they don't have to, right? Um, and if you do that, you're slowing down the ability for them to spend it as quickly. Mm -hmm. But here's the catch. They can't be the only ones in charge. You've got to have somebody else, you know, in the family or a friend circle or a trusted person, not a financial advisor, who could be a co-trustee with them or a distribution trustee and be in charge of approving any distributions. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think the happiest world really is going to be this combination method. Um, you get all the pros of having a trust plus slower money spend uh, because 100% access is not given right up front. Um, and it's even better protection from divorce and bankruptcy because you can't even argue the child had 100% access to it at any point, right? right. Um, you can consider an annuity product. So one of the things we have issues with, um, sorry, I need to get stay close to the mic. No, you're good. Um, one of the things we have issues with from time to time is we run out of people who can be in charge of the trust because mom and dad are in their 50s or 60s, 60s. Everybody mom and dad knows are in their 50s and 60s too. And so they might not have a, a younger person that they could appoint. So that's where we need to talk about either having a corporate trustee 
um, and corporate trustees like banks and independent trust companies who serve as trustee, that's the only thing they do. They're going to be looking for trusts that have a million dollars in them. And there's just a lot, a lot of my clients are not going to have a million bucks in a kid's trust when they pass away, especially if they've got several kids, right? Or if they had expensive long-term care needs. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we can do is at a certain, either a certain level in the trust. So once the trust gets down to a certain amount or after a certain period of time, we can just take what's left and put it into an annuity that pays out like a retirement account is what we do for a lot of clients. So once a child gets to their 50s or 60s, they've got an income stream coming from this legacy mom and dad left them that's intended to cover or give them some extra income while they um, are at the end of their career or getting ready to retire. Are you seeing this more and more these days? What's that, the annuity use? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've had one client take advantage of it, but this was a client where like she came in and she, I love, she was, she was like that. She was like, I love my kid but they are not going to be able to save money for retirement. They just aren't a saver. And I am really concerned about them being able to take care of themselves. If all they have is social security, especially if what a lot of people are saying out there comes true, which is social security is no more, right? What's going to happen to these kids that are spenders. So in that example, we actually took the inheritance for the child and we split it right at the beginning. And we put half of it into an annuity at the beginning, and it's just going to build up in that annuity until the child gets to age like 55 or 60 is when we started it. And then it would pay out at that point. So they only had access at different intervals to the first half of the cash. So one person did it. I don't see a ton of people doing it because usually by the time we start talking about annuities and needing people to serve with the child, the client looks at me and says, I'm done. I don't care. And remember we talked about at the beginning, (laughs) they go back to that first category and they're like, we're done. We don't care. That they do. That they do. <laughs> so it really depends on the client and how important it is for us to do some special planning. But I'll tell you what, um, we do have clients who have children with special needs, right? right. Um, children with actual health issues that may want to be treated like normal independent adults, but they need some extra support. And this is a great way, leaving it to them in trust with someone else as a trustee. It's a great way to give them that support. We actually do custom provisions so that we can provide them with um, the kind of support, the child that is, the kind of support the child will need if mom and dad are no longer there, right? right? And we can either do that in a general support trust if they don't want to be considered a disabled or special needs person, or we can do that in a special needs trust and specifically say this is the kind of care and support they're going to need. What's the difference between the two? Why would one choose one over the other? So because of benefits primarily, um, with... Each state in our country, um, each state in our country has a Medicaid program. Medicaid is different from Medicare. Medicare is health insurance. That's what we get when we retire officially from our job and it's taken out of our social security, Mm -hmm. right? Medicare does not really offer benefits beyond the health insurance type of thing or rehab therapies and that kind of stuff, temporary stuff. Medicaid has waiver programs that provide care and support for people with ongoing disabilities. If you think about it, Um, folks with autism, people with fragile X syndrome, people with Downs, um, people with uh, narcolepsy, for example, Um, people who just simply have a harder time functioning as a independent adult and getting all the adulting things done they need to get done. 
or even doing them in the first place. I mean, even if you're high functioning autistic, you might have issues with maybe you can't drive or maybe it's hard for you to understand the vocabulary at a bank when you need to get a mortgage loan. Right. That just is overwhelming. Sure. Right. Um, Overwhelming for me. (laughs) Right. It's overwhelming for regular people. So a special needs trust is um, a, it's like a basket that has a lid on it. It's irrevocable. So the beneficiary does not have access to the money inside it. They cannot be trustee of it, but it allows that special child to receive any waiver program through the federal government or the state government, usually through Medicaid that assists them with coping with whatever illness or condition that they were either born with or have at the time. Right. Um, And what happens in that special needs trust is you use the benefits from Medicaid or Social Security to pay for shelter and food. Anything other than shelter and food can be paid for by the trust. And if it's set up by mom and dad and it was never the child's money, that money never goes to reimburse Medicaid at the end of the child's lifetime. Mm. But it can be used to elevate their level of life, right? So we've purchased for somebody who was blind or extremely vision impaired, We purchased a Braille microwave and Braille stove for her parents' kitchen so she could cook there because she lived with her mom and dad. Uh, We purchased vehicles with special adaptations so that people can drive. Um, We, you know, here's the fun thing. Like what we've had clients who are into video gaming. The trust was used to send them to like a video game tournament in Arizona and bought them top of the line equipment because that was what they were into. That's what they could do. That's what they liked. Sure. Right. So it's not just about medical stuff that's boring and, you know, elevates life, but it's not fun. Right. right? It's also about making their life better. So you can use a trust to rent a van to take them on vacation to family reunions um, to get them to go on a, a clothes shopping spree if they need outfits for something. Um, if they are into a certain hobby, you can use the fund in that special needs trust to help them develop that skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some incredibly, incredibly bright um, autistic kids and people with disabilities who have wonderful talents. They just need to be able to have a little bit of financial support to be able to bring their ideas and what they've imagined and come up with to fruition to reality. 100%. So it's a really cool uh, tool. And in our trusts and wills, we put a special needs trust in each one. Uh, There's only one I ever took it out of. And it was because the client, for some reason, did not understand why we put it in there and just pitched a bit. Um, But I believe in putting them in every one because we don't know when we're going to have a freak accident and somebody we love is going to be developmentally disabled for the rest of their life. Right. Um, And I never want to get that phone call at 2 a.m. that says, Michelle, why didn't you put this in here? Right. Um, so we put enough text in each of our plans so that it operates as its own special needs trust without drafting a separate one. Um, so you've got that protection built in and we've used it intentionally for people who have families with children who are already disabled as well. So it's, it's really great to be able to take care of families that way um, and to protect kids that way. But it is special needs trust, supplemental needs trust. It's the same thing. They're, they're kind of in a category all their own. Um, they are a type of irrevocable trust. It is a way to take care of somebody with a disability for kids who maybe have like chronic fatigue syndrome or something like that. You, you could do a general support, general support trust for them if they're not getting any federal or state benefits just to support them. Um, if you wanted to, without them feeling like they're being treated like a disabled adult. Sure. Sure. Um, so you have some options there, but it's pretty exciting options. 
Um, but just to go back over it again, we've got outright gifts, which is the we're dead, we don't care category. We've got the giving somebody something at ages or numbers of years after five years, 10 years, 15 years, that kind of thing. Um, you've got the option of giving property in trust, which can be kind of like giving it outright. You're just adding a little bit of protection if you've got smart kids. Right. And you can also do the combination method, which is trust plus intervals or plus uh, a right of withdrawal. And of course, if we've got somebody who has special needs, we can always do an irrevocable special needs trust for them. Which is amazing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. All right. So do we have any helpful hints for people? Uh, any downloadables this week? Anything that we can do to, yes. to help these people? Yeah, we do. We are going to have a free downloadable and you are going to grab that either in the show notes here or on wilson-legal.com forward slash free stuff. Um, we are going to be, you'll be sent to a landing page, put in your email address, and you'll be able to download um, the downloadable from this week's episode. And um, it's going to be a sheet that just helps you kind of process which one is right for you, right? Um, and if you haven't done your estate plan, I think it is important to maybe plan out when you might want to pull the trigger on coming in to set that up. Because if you don't have a plan, um, then the state of Georgia's plan is the first one. It's the we're dead, we don't care plan. That's what state of Georgia uses. And that's how money and stuff is going to be given to your kids if you don't take action to plan differently. Well, then take action. Do what Michelle says, because <laughs> otherwise it's going to be an absolute disaster. It could be a hot mess. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so where can people uh, find you if they want to work with you? So if people want to work with us, you can find us at wilson-legal.com. I don't even think you need the www anymore. No, nope, not at all. Yep. Um, and that's a hyphen, not an underscore. So wilson-legal.com. You can also email us at info at wilson-legal.com or call us at 770-205-7861. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you. Talk Thanks, to you Jeff. next week. Bye. And we could do some hot mess stories. I just feel like these initial episodes are going to be more just information. <clears throat> no, we're good. Based. Very good. I feel like we are just...